Well, hello and welcome to Fairfax 50 Plus, a series featuring discussions on issues of interest to residents 50 and over. I'm your host, Jim Person. Joining us today is Robin McLaughlin. She's Director of Philanthropy at Insight Memory Care Center. That's a Fairfax-based program that provides services to people with memory impairment and their families. Now, Robin was a guest on the program a few years ago, and she told us about this very innovative program. So we thought it was uh, time to catch up with her and find out what's new. Of course, the pandemic is new, and the what's new now includes their adjustments to the air quote new normal in order to uh, continue providing services. Robin will tell us about how they've made those adjustments, the kind of programming they're now providing. She's also going to tell us about a new initiative they have been involved with called Dementia Friendly America. So, Robin, welcome back to the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. As we uh, chatted a moment or two before we uh, before we got started, it has been a while since you're on the podcast. So definitely good to catch back up with you again. Yes, it is. It is great. So uh, it has been a couple of years, uh, a lot of time uh, since we've chatted, uh, kind of bring us back up to speed. And for the folks that maybe not have heard that first interview or have joined us, you know, since that interview came out uh, that are new to the Fairfax 50 plus podcast, tell us all about what the uh, Insight Memory Care Center is, uh, kind of how it got started and, and how it came to be. Of course. Yeah. So Insight Memory Care Center, um, it's a nonprofit and it's an adult day health and resource center. So it opened um, way back in 1984, so we've been in operation for 36 years. Um, it started in the basement of a church with just three participants, and today we have a 15,000-square-foot center um, in Fairfax, and it's a robust programming where we're able to offer programming for people that have been diagnosed with a, a Alzheimer's um, diagnosis or any other memory impairment, any type of dementia. Um, and then we also have um, support and education programs for the caregiver. Um, we can support family caregivers, and we're also supporting professional caregivers with education as well. So we, we do a lot. Um, we're the only ones that have been doing this since we started the dementia-specific um, adult day center. So being able to, to have a, a unique corner um, in the adult day is 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 great for the families that we're able to serve and really being able to help the families and get the resources that they need when they're faced right. with um, such a diagnosis. You kind of kind of describe some of the programming that you, you know, do have done, you know, during the, you know, the before pandemic times. Let's let's kind of do a deep dive if you will, go into a little more details about about the uh, the air quote normal time programming. Is there a, a main program or one or two programs that are um, kind of the highlights of the center? Of course, yeah. So our biggest program is the Adult Day Center itself, um, and that is a licensed program um, through the state, and it uh, we're licensed for up to 60 participants a day. We The state requires a one-to-six staffing ratio. We have anywhere between one-to-three to, to one-to-five staffing ratio, so we have a lot of personalized um, a care um, and interaction with the participants that are attending. Everyone that attends that program has some form of di diagnosis of um, dementia. And so we have progressive programs for that as well. So we're able to care for people from the early stage all the way through the late stage and even partnering with um, hospice if needed as well. Um, but, the, but the program normally runs Monday through Friday, 7.30 in the morning until 5.30. 
in the afternoon. Um, we provide breakfast, lunch, and two snacks during the day. Um, and then, as I mentioned, a lot of um, programming. So really engaging person-centered programming, that social engagement is so important um, for anyone, um, but especially people with dementia, sometimes being at home can be very isolating and being able to stay engaged socially, physically, mentally um, it is really, really great. It is a progressive disease, but being able to stay active is um, one of the things that we focus on um, as, as far as the quality of life. Um, that's right. where, really where we focus for the um, participants and for their family members. Yeah, we we have been teleworking since, you know, it seems like for for so long I can't even really remember when we started, but uh, you know, just it it's the little things that I think about that I miss most from when I went back when I was going to the office, just the simple pleasure of, you know, going out of the building for lunch every day or, you know, uh, running an errand or something like that, you know, working from home. It's like you feel like almost like you're chained to the desk. You can't get up. You can't get out. And then, you know, with the the social isolation and, you know, everybody staying and working at home and not going out, you know, you're not going out running errands anymore. So I know for me that loss of getting out of the house, that social interaction has has been a big loss. So I can only imagine what it's meant to the to the people you're serving. How How have you all responded during the pandemic? Yeah, so we shut down on um, the first day we were closed was March 16th. So um, that was what almost 20 weeks ago, I guess, by yeah. now. But that week, we pivoted completely to virtual programming. So, you know, we are we were caring for people in, in our day center who are moderate and late stage, we have people in our early stage program. Um, and then we also have our families that were going to our support um, groups, and then our education programs that we were going. So all of it pretty much um, went online. So whether what, you know, we've switched platforms a little bit, you know, learning as we go, but whether it's Zoom or a different platform, we've been able to hold virtual support groups a um, couple times a week. We're doing virtual webinars now, or webinars for our education programs. And then for the, the participants at the day center, that's a little bit different. It's really hard to replicate, you know, a 7.30 to 5.30 day. Um, virtually, no one has that attention span to sit in front of a computer. So we have um, adjusted that um, with the feedback from the, the participants and who's um, getting engagement out of it, because not everyone can get engagement out of a virtual um, program. But the ones that are, it's been really helpful. And it's shorter programming, like 45 minutes, which is typical to when we were in the day center. So it's doing that um, several times throughout the day um, for the participants at home. Um, and it's been really great for the family members because it does give them a little bit of a break. Um, you know, they can help them get set up and still gives them a, a little bit of a break while they're engaged in the programming. Um, so we've been able to, to really pivot and do that um, for the, all of our current families and participants. And we also have been able to offer a new program and start an entirely new program as well, which is just incredible. Yeah, I would think so. Before we get to that new program, talk a little bit about that attention span, because I, that's kind of part of what I was relating to earlier. You know, the you're, I'm I'm for me as as an example, sitting here, you know, it was 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. every day. And now mm -hmm. it's 8 a.m. to 430, you know, the, the traditional uh, normal workday. But, you know, it's a lot of time being right in front of that computer and, and the attention span. How is that different from 
the all-day program? I mean, you know, you touched a little bit on it, but are there multiple programs you're offering during the day, or is it, you know, how how does it differ from the from the in-person at the center program? Of course, yeah. So, um, really, uh, it, it is individual in so many ways. But um, for a typical day um, for a participant coming to the center, they arrive somewhere. You know, we open at seven thirty, but most of the time people are there by nine or ten. Um, and then leave starting around three to four. Um, and so when they come, they have breakfast, they're saying hello, you know, morning greetings as as um, most people would. Um, and then starting 10 o'clock is that, that's when we have um, our normal structured activities that start and begin. And our activity staff are just amazing and able to create programming that is um, really person-centered based on who is there that day um, and puts a calendar together for the month, each month, and adjust it as, because um, not everyone comes five days a week. Some people come two days and things get adjusted. So really being able to um, respond to who is um, attending the programming and being able to have programs that they will enjoy and be engaged in. So um, programming in the morning, so it could be exercise classes, it could be a cognitive program, it could be um, dancing, it could be um, you know brain trivia, things like that. And then there's lunch um, and then afternoon programmings where sometimes, you know, depending on which stage, sometimes like I think most of us would love a nap in the afternoon, <laughs> whether you can get it or not. But um, so, so mostly for some of the participants in the later stage, sometimes they have a nap in the afternoon. Um, it all, all is person centered. If it, if it fits for the parts person, um, then it fits for them um, and we can accommodate it. Um, but if, if people um, are looking at being engaged into programming, we have all those programs, especially being able to be active and, you know, chair exercises. Um, we do a lot of music. Music is a huge piece of the of the programming. So to be able to um, heighten those senses and um, tap into memories and um, positive feelings um, is really where we see music is, is great. So being able to pivot really that all day social interaction and um, engagement into online is challenging, um, but we have heard great things. And granted, like I said, it's not for everyone. Um, you know, People in the later stage don't always uh, can't engage into it as much, but people in the earlier to moderate stage, we have seen great success to be able to stay engaged in the program. To be, and we've also had packets that go out and some homework that is um, quote unquote homework to to, to yeah. do as well. So there, you know, so there's purpose, and I think that's what um, not like anyone would. You want purpose in your day. You want purpose in you know something to look forward to and being able to provide that purpose for um, our participants is is still very important. Um, mm -hmm. So we're able to, to do that and give them sort of a project to do, something to look forward to um, and to, to bring to the next class. And what it's not a homework assignment every day, but we also are able to bring in education, I mean, uh, exercise, sorry, um, to do exercise programs for them, um, chair exercises that they can do with Maybe it's a um, can of corn or something instead of, you know, all the exercise equipment we would right. have. But, you know, being flexible with that. Um, and we could we have, um, you know, sent the packets and being able to use uh, materials that way as well. What about technology? I know uh, a lot of the interviews I've been doing over the last several months when we're talking about moving from, you know, in-person programming or classes, et cetera, to online there always seems to be some kind of technology challenge, either for the provider or the recipient. Any technology um, challenges or requirements or anything like that that, that y'all have, have seen since, uh, what was it you said, March 16th, I think? Yeah. Yeah. So we, 
Um, we are mostly using Zoom for our um, programs for our participants, um, just because it's easy. It's very easy. It's um, we have found it's it it just works the best. There was, you know, I think even with some of the staff, like just a learning curve to make sure we knew how to do it because none of us were using it as much as we are now before sure. um, March. So, but um, but yeah, so we have been able to the, the like the staff have been able to you know set up times to to go over how to do it, to send out specific instructions and how to do it so that um, trying to not make that um, a hindrance to engaging in the program. Um, I think by now, you know, unless we're bringing in new participants, for the most part, people are adapting to it. And granted, you always have Wi-Fi issues and things like that that you, you can't control. But um, I think it's it's really working well um, and being able to use the same platform. Um, and it's a common link. So it's it's easy to, to find. It's easy to go to, easy to click and engage on it. For our support groups and our education programs, we've used um, GoToMeeting, which is a little bit more robust and has more capabilities of being able to to do more professional presentations right. where you can mute all attendees or um, to give different permissions and show better materials as well if we're showing a PowerPoint or a video mm -hmm. that has has better capabilities for that so we've been able to use use that platform gotcha do you think uh, a, a lesson learned will be continuing with virtual programming after the pandemic is over, or will you go back to all in-person or, or a combination? So we want to do a combination. Um, I think before this, um, this whole pandemic started, we had talked about, you know, some point in the future, wouldn't it be great to have webinars where we could reach more people? Mm -hmm. um, and so now you know the future was now. <laughs> <laughs> now we're here. So, you know, I think we have had lots of conversations over these past few months with our board, with our staff and from the families as well, saying, you know, these are these have been really great. They've been impactful. They 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 do help. You know, it's not just supplementing until we get back to normal. They they are good programs um, and they're effective. Um, and so we want to be able to continue them. And so we have plans in place to, to do it. The one program we have started that um, will continue is um, we started Insight at Home, which is a separate um, virtual programming. So it's not connected to the day center um, or anything else. So it's for um, people that just want to do a virtual programming. And right now it's offered two days a week. And so we can offer that. But for right now, and we're taking it essentially day by day, we are um, planning to do virtual in combination with in-person. Um, but in-person is one step at a time. It is, um, you know, being as safe as we can be um, and um, be able to make sure that everything that we're doing is making sure that the right. staff and the participants are safe. Right. Is the Inside at Home, uh, that new program that you mentioned a few minutes ago that I said we'd get back to? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, did you want to dive more into that? Yeah. So that one um, is brand new, which is which is really great. And that came out of, you know, how we're doing the day center virtual programs right now and how it was going great and how, it, you know, we could reach people in other states, in another country even, you know, because it's virtual. And to be able to offer that, it is there's a fee for it. And it's a small group. So you do have that social engagement, that connection that you would get to other participants um, that you would get in, you know, sort of an in-person one. So it's not, you know, 100 people that are coming together and we just sort of show something. It's it's engaging. And that is and that's a benefit of the program is to be able to connect with other people that are going through what you're going through. So it's for people that have been diagnosed with dementia that are in the like early to moderate stage 
And so being able to, to do it at home and, and we're going to grow it as, as we need to. Right now we have it two days a week and offering smaller groups throughout the week based on the participants that are attending. So, mm -hmm. um, and it's, we do, there is a fee for that one. Um, and it's about $350 a month and that's for the two sessions per week. I was going to ask, you know, oftentimes it's, um, I don't know what the word is. You know, it seems so inappropriate to talk about money, but uh, fees, costs, those kind of things. Uh, how how was that transitioning from all in person to all virtual? Uh, how how has the the money aspect of all of this, uh, you know, sure. happened occurred? Yeah. So as a as a nonprofit organization, we have um, and speaking as the the director of philanthropy as an organization, we do have a diversified funding source, which is fantastic. We get yeah. um, uh, revenue from our fees. We get um, some donations from communities, you know, community groups, organizations, grants. Um, Fairfax County supports us as well, so we're grateful for for all of that. Um, fundraising has been relatively stable so far um, through this. Good. It's the it's the revenue from our fees that have been impacted, and so because it's like I had said before, you know, going from an in-person program to a virtual program, it's it's not the same. We can't offer the same thing. We're not helping, you know, with meals and um and things like that. And so it's different. So we adjusted um the the cost for the families. And again, it went back to each family as far as what was what made sense. I think we had like a three-tier approach as to how they could pay going forward. And so we're looking at that and continuing to have conversations with the families to see what works best for them. We've had some families that have opted out because it you know it just didn't work for them we have families that are still paying the full amount and attending virtually you know so it's you you have all of it because the families still see the benefit and have the ability to um to still pay which is sure. which is helpful for us yeah. as an organization but yeah we have taken a hit and so i think being able to look at new programming that we can grow and to to expand those is um is a great opportunity for us right now yeah yeah the virtual programming you you touched uh, you know on it uh, you know uh, quite a bit so far but any antidotes any stories from families uh, you know about about the impact of the the virtual programming on on your participants yeah so we um we have a lot of um i don't know a lot of good feedback from the families you know they they really appreciate how much the staff have stepped up. That's what we heard so much the first few months of like, they were so appreciative uh, that the staff had, you know, pivoted so quickly and to provide these, um, the online classes and the programs and everything to be able to continue to stay engaged. Um, so the families have greatly appreciated it and to be able to continue to stay engaged, you know, yeah. we have, um, that has, that has been huge. Um, and, and, you know, I think being able to stay connected with our families, too, through this, you know, um, to be able to still have those conversations because this is a progressive disease. You know, things happen, you know, uh, and to be able to be there for our families through this challenging time, we've, we've still been able to do that. We have two nurses on staff. We have three social workers. So to be able to continue to have those conversations with the family members weekly, Pretty, pretty sure we're doing a minimum weekly if we can get in contact with all of them, but to, to contact them and see how things are going and um, ways to continue to help them and, and to reach out. Yeah. Well, I'm sure important for the, the, the patients, the families, but as you said, also for the, uh, for, for your staff uh, and your volunteers, just, uh, you know, maintaining that contact, uh, very important for, uh, for all sides and, and all involved. 
Um, we mentioned early on in the intro a, a new initiative. I want to make sure we have time to, to get the data and touch on that. Uh, something called Dementia Friendly America. Tell us about that. Sure. Yeah. So Dementia Friendly America is a um, national initiative and it started um, with Herndon several years ago. Um, and they started, you know, with a small action group and a strong passion for um, having our communities to be dementia friendly. What does that mean? It depends on each community. Um, it's really grassroots and you can take it where you want. Dementia friendly can be housed sort of within a nonprofit or a government agency. And so um, pretty much all volunteer run and it's looking at different sectors within the community. For example, it could be the restaurants or banking or um, first responders and working with them with through education uh, to provide better care for people with dementia. So um, Dementia Friendly Herndon has actually trained two restaurants, one in Herndon and one in restaurant to be dementia friendly. Um, there's also Dementia Friendly Alexandria and Arlington and Loudoun, um, and then Dementia Friendly Fairfax as well in our community. So there's a, a lot of communities out there and we come together at least monthly, even through this pandemic, just to touch base to, to share information where people are um, with um, their initiatives so that we can share resources. For example, if one dementia-friendly community has just done a program for the first responders or the police, it'd be great for a, another one in our area to, to share that, that education piece and to be able to use that instead of having to recreate it um, as a separate initiative. And so if you have that, um, that network and that um, community throughout the rest of this the country as well. So we're able to reach out to um, other dementia-friendly communities to share resources, which has been helpful. Through this um, pandemic, we've, um, we have uh, dementia-friendly Fairfax specifically has been offering webinar series. And so we offered one in July, and then we have another one coming up and starting in September. And that one is, it's a three-part webinar series um, with the first one being um, the, the training session is called Become a Dementia Friend. And so that's a really great education program for people who are really new to um, understanding what dementia is. It could be good for educators. It could be good for community people just to, to know what um, sort of the signs are of dementia, how to communicate, how to um, understand what it's like um, for someone that, that has dementia. So that's a, it's a great interactive um, programming. So that one, that one is offered several times um, throughout the year, but that one's coming up in, in September. Mm -hmm. um, and then and then we also have dementia 101 and five ways to care to take care of your brain. Um, that's those are the three in the, the webinar series for September mm -hmm. from Dementia Friendly. How can uh, folks learn more about that specifically or the Insight Memory Care Center and all the the other programming that you guys have going on? Sure. So the best way right now is our website. So to go to insightmcc.org. Um, you can search um, virtual services or dementia friendly, and you will find everything. I'm pretty sure it's, you can find it almost on the front page, but um, it's insightmcc.org. All the resources are there. And uh, I have a telephone number here in my notes, but uh, would you guys uh, mind telephone calls or is the, the website contact form the, the best way? The website and email is the best. We are still um, virtual and remote. Um, it depends on um, which staff. So we um, we are doing both at the same time. So we yeah. have we do yeah we do have our main phone number, but we also have um, a virtual phone number. So either one works. But you can always go to the website um, and email any of the staff. 
So that's insightmcc.org, the best way to uh, find out information about Dementia Friendly America, or of course the Insight Memory Care Center and all the uh, programs and services that they have going on uh, still providing uh, during this uh, coronavirus pandemic. Robin, a uh, final thought, final word from you as uh, we wrap up. Anything I didn't ask you or anything I forgot to ask you or you want to just kind of make sure our listeners uh, end with knowing about the Insight Memory Care Center? Sure. Thank you. No, I just appreciate this opportunity. I think people with dementia are an isolated population already and are susceptible to being home. Um, and, and, and I think that's challenging. So being able to provide virtual resources through this, even though it's not the same as in person, I think is extremely important. So if you have a neighbor or a friend or a family member, connect with us um, and we can um, connect you to the resources that, that are best. All right. Very good. Robin McLaughlin, in Insight Memory Care Center. Thanks so much for being with us on this edition of the Fairfax 50 Plus podcast. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Absolutely. And again, if you want to find out any more information, go to insightmcc.org. And if you want to find out more uh, Fairfax County uh, news, information, recreation, community engagement opportunities, etc., you can dial 703-324-7948. That TTY number is 711. Or go online to fairfaxcounty.gov slash olderadults. When you're on that uh, Older Adults webpage, you can also subscribe to the monthly Golden Gazette newspaper and find a link from there to the Fairfax 50 Plus Facebook page. Thanks again for joining us on this edition of the Fairfax 50 Plus podcast, which is produced by the Fairfax County, Virginia government.